Last time on The Wedge. My mom and I fought about COVID. I realized how much I wanted to stay connected despite our disagreements. I found out that my brother Jimmy went to a Stop the Steal rally on January 6th in Washington, D.C. And then I learned I was pregnant. You left a pee stick on my computer desk. I've just realized I'd never disinfected that area. <laughs> but yes, and then it said you were pregnant. When I tell my mom, she gasps and covers her face with her hands. We're on a video call. I can see her eyes are full of tears. She is thrilled. It's February 2021. I'm only six weeks pregnant, but she starts preparing for the baby right away. I got the pattern for that puffy quilt. You like, did? Yeah, I looked at it. I was like, oh my God, I don't know <laughs> if I could do this. I don't know if I could do this. But I'm just going to try and make one. I thought that was so cute. I can just imagine a baby kind of pushing on it, you know. My mom is as excited as I am to gush over baby stuff. It's a nice break from fighting about COVID and vaccines. I'm even thinking, hoping, that maybe being pregnant might bring us back together. Maybe she'll get a shot to protect her grandchild and we can move on. Maybe I'll get her to change her mind. A reminder here, we are telling a very personal story about a very particular fight over COVID. But these kinds of disagreements are happening in all kinds of families over all kinds of subjects. Guns, racism, health care. I'm Erica Anderson. This is me and my mom having one of those conversations that so many of us would rather avoid. Welcome to The Wedge a podcast from Spaceship Media, presented by Colorado Public Radio. Episode two, I stop arguing and listen to my mom's story. First, I want to let you know, this episode contains some profanity and some really hard stuff around family trauma and the death of children. It's hard for me too, in part because I'm pregnant. Ever since I told my mom, we've talked lots about baby stuff, like quilts and onesies. But being pregnant has raised the COVID stakes for both of us. We're both scared for the baby. I'm worried I'll get COVID again. My mom is focused on what she's hearing online, that the vaccine could change our DNA. It targets a certain chromosome. I think it's chromosome 8. And they know that each chromosome has a certain function, right? Chromosome 8 has to do with fertility. Okay, let's just say it's going to fuck with my DNA and the kid I have can't have kids, but I get to live. And that baby gets to be born. You know, then you have to say, am I accurate in the amount of risk I feel I'm at personally for dying? I feel at risk. My mom's on Molokai, a tiny island in Hawaii, but I'm in New York City in the gray heart of winter. My partner, Enrique, is around tons of people at work every day. I walk by 25 people just to go to the grocery store, and what I'm hearing scares me. I talked to this woman who works in an ER in Philly right now, and she was just said, you know, you have to tell everyone you know that's pregnant. They have to get the vaccine. Women are coming in and it looks like preeclampsia, but it's actually COVID and we can't treat it. 
and women are coming in and we, it looks like high blood pressure, but it's COVID and we can't treat it the same way that we would. And we can't give them the same medicines. That's where I'm saying, why haven't we spent more time looking at these safer treatments, you know, and, but they have, uh, there are different treatments what about for COVID the right now. If we were to just learn how to really take care of our immune system, you know, I am, I'm eating good food, but like, I can't control the fact that I am pregnant and my immune system is automatically lowered. That's just a fact. Part of So you're saying because you're pregnant, your immune system is lower? You're immunocompromised when you're pregnant because your body's working on other stuff. See, I never, when I was pregnant, I was so healthy. I was healthier than any other time. So I don't know where that information comes from because that wasn't my experience. I know my mom's personal experiences drive many of her beliefs. If I can understand where she's coming from, will it help us agree about the vaccine? I'm a little scared to open this door, but I ask her if she'll let me interview her about her life. I know that there are like real life events that have happened that lead you to be not distrustful, but like more discerning of the medical industry than maybe somebody else. Skeptical. You know, yeah, skeptical. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, is, it is very personal. But she agrees, even though it feels a little risky to her too. It definitely brings up like, oh God, she'll think I'm a wacko. And, you know. <laughs> If I really tell her what I believe. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm willing to do that and then see where that takes us. Okay, we're rolling. My mom and I are video chatting. It's March 2021, and New York is still wintry gray. I can see the sun is bright in Hawaii, and I can hear the chirping of tropical birds. This is a far cry from where my mom was raised. So I grew up in Aurora, in a little house on Worcester Street. Her hometown Aurora is a suburb of Denver, Colorado. The little house where she grew up was a small red brick ranch on a block where all the houses looked nearly identical. She was the youngest of four. And the way it was told to me was my mom was beside herself, overwhelmed with her life, and she, she didn't want me. Actually, I actually have a memory of being a child in a crib, standing at the crib and, like, banging it, wishing somebody would come, and they never came. What did come later was a sense of exploration and self-reliance. My mom played alone a lot. She liked going outside. A few years ago, as a present for her, I framed what we call the mud girl photos. My mom is the mud girl. She's about three or four years old in the pictures. She's got bright blonde hair and a little grin. She's sitting in the middle of a giant mud puddle. Those little mud girl pictures. That's what I did with myself. That's how I got through. I would be outside singing in nature. There was an apple tree. I learned to have a little magical life. I had my own world. You know, I was very close to, I think, God and the spiritual realm, <laughs> even back then. School was another place where she found her way. She was good at everything. Science, music, English. She especially loved classes where they debated global issues like the Vietnam War. I was anti-Vietnam War. 
I started learning about propaganda and, you know, there was propaganda on the TV. And so I became suspicious of authorities, really. And so if someone said, well, that's what we have to do, I would go, why? Why? How do you know that? As far as healthcare, my mom got the few childhood vaccines available to kids then. But her mom was too checked out of parenting to manage much else. And her dad didn't have much interest in doctors. He was kind of interesting that way. He dealt a lot in the occult, so the paranormal. But he also was like, he believed you could heal yourself. Interesting, he died at 47 of a heart attack, but I never, he never went to the doctor as far as I recall. My mom was 13 when her dad died. As a teenager, she did turn to doctors when she was sick. But the way she remembers it, they didn't help. She tells me a story about having a horribly painful toenail infection and how the doctor gave her a scolding. He shamed me for letting my toenail get that way. I should have known better. It was pussy, and I couldn't couldn't even stand to have anything near it, much less touch it. He just went in there without anesthetic, and I, like, passed out practically from the pain, and he was rough and grouchy about it. And then I was sick another time in my senior year, and I drove myself to a doctor. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. I had gotten so weak that I missed my last two months of my senior year, just being sick, laying around. And the, But the thing was, the doctors didn't ever have any answers. Even though she missed the last months of high school, my mom got a full-ride scholarship to study chemistry. But she decided to major in education instead. She met her first husband, Larry, in college. He was a really good singer. He had a beautiful um, baritone, second tenor baritone type voice. and We harmonized really good together. It was 1975 and they were hippies in love. They had a folk bluegrass band. They lived on a farm in Western Colorado in a counterculture community where my mom found her people. It's here where she grew her own wheat to make homemade bread. She made her own ketchup from the tomatoes she grew in her huge garden. They ate organic vegetables and meat raised on their land. For their first baby, my mom planned a hospital birth, but she wanted it to be as natural as possible. It didn't turn out that way. The nurses didn't listen to me. I didn't want painkillers. I went out to a lot of trouble to do natural childbirth. I didn't want to be anesthetized. She just came in, gave me a shot without telling me, without my permission. My mom looks straight at me over the video, her eyes open wide as she tells me the story. She remembers having no say in what was happening. Nurses took her baby away, my brother Jesse, and circumcised him without explaining the process to my mom or asking her permission. So I, I felt angry because I didn't know. I didn't even know what question to ask. And when it came time to vaccinate Jessie, she says she followed her gut, something she still does today. They were going to inject an illness into my son, and he was perfectly healthy. And all I can say is I just had a big no with my beautiful, brand new, healthy baby. Why would I do that? Two years later, she was pregnant again. This time, my mom wanted the delivery to be on her terms. A midwife helped her prepare for a home birth. But when the day came, my mom was in the farmhouse alone. 
we didn't have cell phones. And I had put in the call to my nurse midwife who was supposed to be there. She couldn't come. I didn't have a car. I was stranded. I could have called an ambulance, I guess, but I just decided I'm just going to stay with this. Larry will be home eventually. I was all by myself up until the like three minutes before I pushed him out and Larry walks in the door. Literally, I'm squatting, you know, my arm around his shoulders, squatting and pushing the baby out. I knew what to do. So I just did it. And then he caught the baby with one hand. That baby is Jimmy, my brother you already met, the one who works in the anti-vax world and went to stop the steal in DC. Jimmy the newborn was healthy and my mom was happy with the home birth, even on her own. Photos from that time show my mom outside in the sun. It shines through her long hair parted down the center and hanging past her waist. Life was good. Toddlers, fresh air, and family. Then the picture changes. I went outside and a crop dusting plane just sprayed the field and me. Our chickens all died and my heartbeat immediately started racing. Like I went in the house and my heartbeat was at like 180 beats. This part of her story is almost mythical to me. I've heard it so many times. What happened was it, it poisoned my thyroid. And so my thyroid became hyperactive, which caused the heartbeat. And my metabolism sped up and I lost all this weight and I lost all this muscle. And I was like 90 pounds and I'm trying to figure out and I'm going to nutritionists. I'm going to regular doctors. It was 1980. My mom was 25 years old. She'd felt criticized and ignored in earlier experiences with mainstream medicine, but she turned to the medical establishment after the pesticide exposure because her symptoms were so bad. And she agreed to take a medicine known as PTU. It stops the thyroid gland from making too much thyroid hormone. A month into taking it, she found out she was pregnant again. She stopped taking PTU immediately. This pregnancy was tough. My sister Natana didn't grow enough. My mom went into labor at home, but soon her midwife insisted she transfer to a hospital. I had her. It was weird. There was no amniotic fluid. There was no waters. She was two pounds, nine ounces, and they whisked her away. And I... If you should hear this while you're pregnant. I laid there on the table. That's when I wept. I just wept. Natana was in another room, hooked to machines to keep her alive. My mom was alone. No one updated her about her baby for hours. A nurse comes, you know, and it was about nine hours after I had her. And uh, she says, have you seen your baby? I said, no. She goes, you can come see your baby. So I walked down the hall, and here's Natana just struggling to breathe. Just, you know, she's clearly in distress. Her lungs are solid, and all of her glands were either malformed or not formed. But her heart was perfect. <laughs> Both hyperthyroidism and the drugs to treat it can cause severe problems for a developing baby. So it's hard to know whether the pesticide exposure, the hyperthyroidism, or the treatment hurt my sister Natana. Something did. 
I reached in and I held her little hand and her little hand fit around my pinky, so tiny. And I told her I loved her. And I told her I'd always love her. I'd always be her mother. And, um, and then I left. And she died, like, as I'm walking back to my room. She just was waiting. Oh, sorry, mom. You know, I could have had a lawsuit about with the chemical companies if I could have found out, but nobody would tell me what they sprayed and nobody would talk. Nobody wanted to get into it because it was a farming community. But I would have done it because to save other people from going through what I went through. And I never, I always regretted that I didn't. I know this story well, but listening to it now, I realize some seeds of her worry about the COVID vaccine may have been planted here. Losing Natana was a traumatic experience on so many levels. As a mother, with the medical system, it also left her feeling like she couldn't trust authorities or corporations to protect people. And her marriage had begun to fail. And I got Larry telling me I had killed my baby because look what I'd done because of my negative thoughts. She wanted to believe Larry was wrong, but in her grief, she wondered if her stress or unhappiness in her marriage had contributed in some way. I was really shaken up after having had Natana die. So I kind of lost confidence in myself. Like, how did I let that happen? Was there anything I had done? Shortly after Natana died, my mom left Larry. She moved to Denver with Jimmy and Jesse and met a charming lawyer who asked her to marry him. It was like my next chapter. So I just, I, I, I did a whole different kind of life. That lawyer is my dad and I was born in a hospital. At the time when I had you, it was just like, I'm gonna do this safe. <laughs> and your dad is Mr. Safe. And so that's why with you, I did a modified more conservative birth. We compromised. I had a birthing room in a hospital. My mom had done this three times by now. She knew when she entered the most intense part of labor. She knew I was about to be born. But she still remembers a nurse who told her, no, it would be hours more. My mom pushed me out 20 minutes later. My mom is like so many women, especially women who are low income or women of color, who felt ignored or dismissed by medical professionals. I kind of feel like I always had babies in spite of the doctors and nurses. And, you know, my best birth was, was Jimmy's, alone. I'm not doing pregnancy alone. I turned to two midwives, a doula, friends, and my mom for advice. Enrique, my partner, comes to every checkup. He asks if I'm getting enough protein, enough vitamins. When I think of all the times people who should have helped my mom undermined her, I get angry. When I picture her alone in that hospital after her baby died, I just want to curl in a ball and weep. And there's another thing that is important to understand about my mom and her fierce protective nature around her kids. Natana is not the only child she's lost. My brother Jesse, her firstborn, died four years later. He was 10 years old. He drowned when ice broke on a frozen pond. I was only three and mostly remember my mother's grief. 
It shaped my childhood. My other brother, Jimmy, and I never let her wonder where we were or when we were coming home. We moved from Denver to Boulder for a fresh start, but my parents divorced. Many marriages suffer when a child dies and theirs was no different. My mom was close to a breaking point. She tried all kinds of therapy, starting with trauma counseling, then moving into alternative therapies like energy work, sound healing, and meditation. So Jesse's death was the, the thing that, where I really just started doing things differently with everything, with my life, you know? And um, so with you kids, I, oh, my having one child, two children die, man, you know, my care for you guys was my biggest priority. After hearing my mom talk about all she's been through, the intensity of her concerns around the COVID vaccine makes so much more sense to me. Our medical system, our regulatory systems, failed her repeatedly. That solidified what she learned as a little girl seeking comfort in nature. She had to find her own way. When she lost children, when her marriages failed, she developed a stubborn trust in herself, her questions, and her gut. I'm a survivor. And I think I have grown and learned and healed and, and it's made me have the knowledge and gifts of healing and wisdom and what's really important. When I was a kid in Boulder's lefty, mystical wellness world, my mother's gifts were on full display. Well, I first remember meeting your mom when you joined the class in fourth grade and she was kind of a, like, a big energy of positivity. Catherine Baraclow is my best childhood friend. She was, like, smiling and upbeat and talking to people. Like, I remember her in, like, creamy green colors and, like, white. And she had, like, a freshness about her. In high school, Catherine and I practically lived at each other's houses. She was almost as close to my mom as I was. I know how to cut a tomato because of Keeney. I can parallel park a car like a fucking boss because of Keeney. Best parallel parking instructor ever. Catherine's gay, and when she told her family, her mother didn't handle it well. My mom was a safe person for Catherine. She was a rock star in that time. My mom was like, I'm sad. I feel like I've lost my daughter. And apparently your mom said, Betsy? I know what it's like to lose a child. This is not it. Rejoice, because your daughter's happy. She's in love. You got to get over this. Our mom saw eye to eye about other things, like vaccines. Catherine was never vaccinated for anything but polio. And just like my mom, when the COVID vaccine came out in early spring, Catherine was very skeptical of its safety and effectiveness. It seemed like all these other vaccines had been tested over a longer period of time, and it just seemed like, God, this was really fast. How could we know all of the possible risks in such a short period of time? How could we possibly know this? My mom had this question, too. And like her, Catherine did her own research. But here's where my friend and my mom went in different directions. And then everyone, I was reading, well, the mRNA technology has actually been around for quite a while. This has been in sort of a rehearsal process for many years. So maybe this hype about it being so new and so different is just, you know, fear-mongering to keep people hooked to the news. 
something shifted in Catherine's mind. She realized she was counting on other people to protect her by getting the vaccine. I was really starting to pull apart this idea that I'm waiting for everybody else to do this thing that I'm hesitant about doing so that herd immunity can be achieved? What? And then I was like, how have I been doing this my whole life? Waiting for everybody else to do the thing that I'm like philosophically opposed to supposedly so that herd immunity can be achieved so that I can live my really comfy life with my kale and tinctures and supplements or whatever, you know, like what the heck? Catherine's process makes sense to me. She took her time and weighed her options. I feel guilty saying this, but why can't my mom change her mind like Catherine? They started out with a lot of the same questions. They both read a wide range of information. They turned to some of the same people for guidance. But my mom wrestles more with what to trust. What can I trust? And how do I know I can trust it? Do I trust it because you say I can trust it? Or because the New York Times says I can trust it? Or because... Donald Trump says it. Right. Not a reason for me. I worry where this trust vacuum will take her. My mom stayed in Boulder for years after I grew up and moved away. She remarried, had my little brother, divorced, married again. She started a pie shop that she called, get this, My Mom's Pie. I'm Keeney Christie, and I am mom of My Mom's Pie. I dug up this old video from right around the time the pie shop opened. We make apple pie, blueberry pie, blackberry raspberry pie, cherry pie, peach pie, pecan pie, chocolate pecan pie, bourbon pecan pie, pumpkin pie, bourbon pumpkin pie. Pie makes people happy. It's a happy business. She sold pie for about a decade in Boulder and spent a lot of time at the Unity Church. She sang in the choir and met her current husband, Jeff, there. They left Colorado for Hawaii in 2018. Since leaving her longtime community, she has spent a lot more time online. And that's where she is when COVID hits. With everything closing, my mom, like so many of us, turns to social media to try to stay connected and figure out what is happening. I know what sort of stuff my mom looked at online before the pandemic. She followed people with long-held objections to vaccines, like Robert Kennedy Jr. and, of course, Del Bigtree. But now I learn that she's found many new favorites, like Zach Bush, an internal medicine doctor turned health guru. He tells his hundreds of thousands of internet followers that viruses, including COVID, don't cause disease, and Mother Nature has a plan. Perhaps the next technological breakthrough we're waiting for is not some secret missile of a, a vaccine to knock out this one virus, but in fact, our next revelation of health is to find out that we have a place, a cared for place, a nurtured space within nature herself that she's been calling us to since the origin of life. Zach's message connects my mom's faith in nature and the universe. Another internet messenger, Christiane Northrup, hits home with my mom, too. She's the doctor who first rose to prominence for reframing menopause as a gift. Her claims about the COVID vaccine played in my mom's distrust of medical and regulatory systems and her willingness to consider that anything could be possible. This vaccine will have nanoparticles, nanocrystalline particles that are actually little robots, like little antennas, and they will have the ability 
to take your biometric data, not only your vaccine record, but your breathing, your heart rate, your activities, sexual activities, drugs that you're taking, where you travel, all of that, and then take that data and store it in the cloud. One more new favorite of my mom's made her name as a feminist. Naomi Wolf wrote a book decades ago tearing apart myths about women and beauty. Now she criticizes COVID precautions like mask mandates and school shutdowns as fear-mongering. We were, you know, constantly being told this is a new virus. We don't know how it works. There are going to be, you know, tens of thousands, millions of bodies stacked up. And, you know, fear is always used at these moments to terrify people into submitting to giving up their uh, democracy. This resonates with what my mom sees around her. To watch people be afraid irrationally, like to the point where little old ladies driving by themselves in their car on Molokai and have their mask on in their car by themselves. I'm like, that just shows me how much fear they're in. I do agree with her about masks in cars. But little things she says show me she is scared too. She fears unknown consequences. She doesn't want to be duped. I think the people she follows are leading her astray. But she says she ultimately relies on herself to figure out what's true. All I know is common sense. For me, I just have to use my common sense. It's not about who am I willing to listen to. Am I willing to think? I'm starting to not trust her common sense. I'm starting to fear it. It turns out that fear is a big deal in these kinds of conflicts. And when we talk again, we're going to have to face that. I'm also, like, navigating this while being pregnant. And I don't want to be afraid of you being unvaccinated. And I'm also afraid about getting the vaccine and being pregnant. The terror is that I'm going to lose her. Just plain old that I'll lose her. Our fears unmuzzled. We go to therapy together next time on The Wedge. The Wedge was conceived, created, and produced by Spaceship Media. It's distributed by Colorado Public Radio's Audio Innovation Studio.